Let me ask you, well, first of all, let me tell you this scenario. Bang, bang, bang. Is Mr. Sam's at the door, please? He has stolen some petrol. Now, I would have thought being arrested for stealing petrol was not ideal the very week you're going to start a church. But unfortunately, that's what was going through my mind because that scenario actually happened this week. As it actually turned out, I, in a rush between doing a devotion to Torrens Valley Christian School and getting the set of pastors Wednesday morning, drove off without paying for petrol. And so the police were standing at my door saying, this has happened. Now, everything was rushing through my head and it just spun me out and it was so embarrassing. Jack had quite a bit of a chuckle. He thought it was funny. Uh, what church are we at, Jack? Trinity Grove. Great. Excellent. Thank you. Uh, we're at Trinity Grove and I was totally embarrassed. It was just not that significant. You said just go and pay it and it's fine. It doesn't really matter. But it was just one of those brain explosions where I hate that. I hate those kind of things. And it leads me actually to the question I want to ask us today. What sort of life do you want? See, church planting with a criminal record is not what I want. But actually, if you don't know this about me, I, I am kind of a goody two-shoes. I don't like getting into trouble. As a kid, I hated if the teacher just even spoke to me loudly. And when the policeman came to the door, I still have all those feelings, I realised. I, I just, ah, oh, spun me out. I want the quiet life and don't like being disturbed or causing any disturbances or interactions. And it just reminded me of that so clearly as this quirky thing happened this week. But what about you? What kind of life do you want? I think we have all sorts of answers. Maybe it's now the time where you just really like to enjoy life. Life has been hard. You no longer have to work. There's been so many dramas. It'd be nice to relax. You're the type of person who thinks what I want out of life is to not be stressed and just have no issues and drama, so I'll avoid anything that's going to cause problems. What kind of life do I want? I want a life in which I don't have to deal with pain and difficulty. That's the kind of life that I want. What kind of life do I want? I want to see my kids succeed. And I need to put a little caveat to that. At all costs. I'll do anything for that. What kind of life do I want? I want a job. I don't just want a job, I want a successful job. I want it to be fulfilling and I want it to have prestige and I want to have notoriety. Not necessarily fame, but in my profession, I want to be well known. Or maybe you do want to be popular in certain ways. You do want lots of people to like you. You do want a lot of Facebook friends. How do you answer that question? I suspect the thousands of people around us have all sorts of answers that are wrapped up in some of those ideas. 
I suspect we wrestle with them as well. But today, because Jesus is King, and we're thinking about Him being supreme over these following uh, couple of weeks, He is the supreme one. We need to consider what sort of life we should live in light of that. That's the challenge for us today. We hinted at it with the kids when we talked about pleasing him. And we'll get there eventually. You see, what happens in the beginning of Colossians, which is fantastic, is that Paul, the great apostle, is he kind of starts off praying for the Colossians. He loves them and he has heard about them. And so he starts off this letter by praying for a planted church. This little place, a group of people, he is praying for them as they seek to gather together as Christians. Epaphras, a friend, lands at the church, and why? Um, so why does he pray for them? He doesn't really know them, we reckon, but he has great affection for them. He's praying for a planted church, and you can see, if you scan over Colossians 1, he has affection for them. They're his faithful brothers and sisters. He talks about thanking God for them. He's heard of their faith in Jesus, their love that he has for them, and he just talks about it in a way which highlights how much he, he appreciates that. He talks about the gospel-bearing fruit, and that's what's happening with them. It's just, he's building this affection that he has for them. He talks about how much he has affection for Epaphras in verse 7, our dear fellow servant, and he's told us of your love. There's this bond. But we need to think about this prayer and why he's talking about praying for them. And the first thing I want us to see is he's praying for a planted church. How often does he do it? Have a look at verse 3. We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you. We're always thanking God when we pray for you. It's, it, it's this, you are going so well, we thank God for you. And then you go to verse 9, we continually ask God to fill you with the knowledge of His will, through all wisdom and understanding that the Spirit gives. You see... For this reason, he says, since the day we heard about you, we have not stopped praying for you in the beginning of verse 9. Not stopped. Verse 3, always thanking God for them. And for this reason, we don't stop praying. And it's because of what he's heard about them, he doesn't stop praying for them. I wonder whether... Have you ever said to someone, I'll pray for you? But as you reflect on it, sometimes the I'll pray for you is a little bit of a, um, it's almost like a greeting card, uh, thank you. It, it just kind of is a hello, yes kind of response. Oh, the Christian response is say, I'll pray for you. But do we actually sometimes do that? Does that always happen? We never stop praying for you, he says. It's not, oh, we've heard about you, so we'll pray, pray for you. 
as a token gesture, it, this contrast here is that he is absolutely, unswervingly committed to praying for the Colossians. It's always on his mind. Why? Why pray for this church? Well, let's have a look and see what brought about his prayers. Verse 4. You see verse 4, it starts with because. We always thank God the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ when we pray for you, because. This is what uh, motivates his prayer. We have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus, and of your love, the love you have for all of God's people. The faith and love that spring from the hope stored up for you in heaven and about which you have already heard in the true message of the gospel that has come to you. It's that beautiful picture that Paul often brings up of faith, hope and love. And he says that you have faith in Jesus. That we don't stop praying for you because we've seen how you trust in Jesus and you love Jesus and you're committed to him. And if you do that, we also thank God because you are committed to his people. We can stop there and say, is that who we're going to be? Committed to unswervingly trusted in Jesus. And as you look around at these people that, that um, we're getting to know, you love them. Is your default position to love every person in this room? He's thanking God that that's the Colossians. And the reason they do this is because they have a hope of heaven. That the Colossians have seen that the gospel of the Lord Jesus, who's died and risen for them, takes them, takes them into eternal glory. And so, as we wait for that glory, we trust in God and we love each other. This trusting in Jesus is because of what he's done. It's his uh, physical body dying on the cross that we'll look at next week as he brings that up. It's what Jesus set out to do for us. It's the reason that he is a king that we live for is because we can see what he's done and trust in him. But there's more. See, it hasn't just come to them. See, in verse 6, he says, in the same way, the gospel is bearing fruit and growing throughout the whole world, just as it has been doing among you since the day you heard it and truly understood God's grace. But, but Colossians that he's talking about haven't just gone trusting in Jesus. Okay, this is my bunch of people that I'm going to love, and that's it. He's looking at them, and he says... Right. Just as the gospel's going out and bearing fruit, we see it amongst your place. People are coming in and coming to have faith in Jesus. The Colossians are bearing fruit more and more. Why does he pray for them? What's brought about his prayers? The Colossians have understood at the heart of their relationship with God, God's grace. He says, since um, you have been doing it among you since the day you heard it and truly understood God's grace. 
I don't know whether I've ever told you a story on my dad's uh, testimony, um, but it's that classic moment where the Spirit transforms someone's mind to saying that God has done it all. I, in my um, young adult days, constantly would talk to Dad about Ephesians 2 and about how you're saved by grace and grace alone. And he would kind of just walk out of the room or not really show any interest, not be against it, be okay about it, but just not that interested. And I would talk about it all the time. And I felt like I was literally turning around and banging my head against that wooden wall constantly. But then Dad... I started a church in Earlwood, uh, in Sydney, and mum wanted to come and hear me, uh, as mums do, they want to see what their kids are doing, and so dad went along, and he kind of come and go, and then he started coming more regularly, to the point where he was willing to do a little introduction to the Bible course. And in that, uh, he talks about Ephesians 2, and by grace. And he talks about this moment at home, where he walks into the other room, and goes to mum and says... Yeah, you read this Ephesians 2 thing about God's done it all for us and we don't have to do anything? Is that, yeah, yeah, I'm reading it right now. I get it. And, I, and then from that point on, he got it. And I, I said to him, he told church this a couple of weeks later, he got up the front and told him, and I, I spoke to him about it, and, he, and, he, and I said, Dad, do you realise that for like at least three or four years I have been banging on about that very passage? And he's gone... Yeah, I kind of do. But it was when God, in His grace, showed him that He's done it all. He accepted it. That is what we're going to be like at Trinity Grove. We're going to keep banging on about it. And sometimes, we'll all be turning around and feeling like we're banging our head against the four walls in this building. Sometimes people aren't going to just be ambivalent, they might not like it at all. But God will do his thing, and we'll be like the Colossians who keep going with hope, faith, and love. That's what we want. This is a fantastic picture of God's people. And you see, Paul is praying because of that. He is not praying fervently for them because they're actually in crisis. I think of my times of really intense praying, and it's often rightly in those moments. But do I have that never cease praying because people are loving others and having faith in God? Hmm, that was a personal challenge for me this week. So we've established, okay, he's praying for them and how often. We've established his motivation. What's the content of his prayer? Verse 9. The second part of verse 9, after he says, we've not stopped uh, praying for you, he says, we continually ask God to fill you with the knowledge of His will through all wisdom and understanding that the Spirit gives. See, He prays that they will have the knowledge of God, His ways, what God wants. 
is praying that they will get this, not from some brilliance of their own, but through the Spirit. Through all wisdom and understanding that the Spirit gives, which my dad received, which all of us who follow Jesus can only follow Him, is through the Spirit. He prays, continue with what you've already heard about. He's telling them, we're not now praying for you that you'll go on to the next phase. Jesus is good, but now it's time to do this. He's actually saying to them, we are praying that God will not give you extra knowledge that goes beyond, but that he will continue to show you his will, and his will is always about Jesus. And the Spirit is always pointing you to him. Spirit reveals Jesus and gives understanding about him. I don't know if you can see there with me that he prays that through all wisdom and understanding that the Spirit gives, understanding that the Spirit gives, and he's just previously talked about grace in regards to you truly understood God's grace. What the Spirit gives is God's grace. He's wanting them to understand God's ways so they can continue on. And so finally we've got to the heart of it all. The goal in his praying for the Colossians. Why is he praying for them this way? See, this is a great prayer with a very special goal. Very specific goal. Look at verse 10. So that. So he's just given the content of the prayer, and then he says, so that. This is why. This is the goal. So that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and please Him in every way. See, I, I mentioned when we had the kids here, and I'm talking about pleasing. Um, we want people uh, uh, to please us. We want people to do things for us, which works out. I don't want Jen to be constantly angry with me. I want her to be happy with me. And so if that means that I do things around the house that help her, well then I want to do that because that pleases her and it reciprocates. Here, we see that we're to live a life worthy of the Lord and please Him in every way because Jesus, well, He's not to be trifled with. He is supreme. We've just started to get a snippet of it. We're going to see how magnificent it is over the next two weeks as we see what He's done and how He saves us and then as we launch the supremacy of Jesus in all things. And because of that, the goal of this prayer of knowing God's will is so that you will um, give Him honour and that you will please Him. The worthy and honour and the pleasing Him are kind of almost the same thing in a way. You see, to be worthy of the Lord is to live in a way that respects Him and that you, you are in His um, relationship with Him. It's to respect Him and not denigrate. It's to honour not disrespect. To please is to 
Well, they have pleasure in you and the way you're acting, have satisfaction that you're doing something that they want. And so we think about those things in regards to the Lord of all. You see, the picture here is we're living for him because he's the king. And sometimes this means my plans, your plans, our plans need a massive overhaul. It takes us back to the question we started with, what do you want out of life? I can't, I can't say I really do just want a quiet life and say I'm going to live a life worthy of the Lord. Because being a master of a church does not mean you can just hide in a corner as much as I kind of like doing that. It just doesn't work that way. Being a church community, we can't just hide in this building and honour God by singing and hearing from Him and then not wanting to engage with our community when His mission is to proclaim it to all the world. A quiet life does not work. Sometimes our plans need to be completely abandoned. If our plans require us to dishonour God in ethical decisions, and there's no other option, we throw out those plans. If the only way I can get ahead in business is to take down other people through illegal means, to steal some money, to gossip about them, we abandon those plans. That's not the type of life we want. Sometimes our plans need to be changed. Wanting your kids to succeed is a good and right thing for a parent. That at all costs, I would suggest, is not good. When your kids should be wanting to honour the Lord. And if it means that you treat others disgracefully, well then, you're not living a life worthy of the Lord. And sometimes, our plans need to be less important. Sometimes, what we want out of life is to have a good job. That would be great. In our current climate, it's very real for people, isn't it? And it's becoming more and more real. It's just, it's so hard to find work. And it's good and right to actually want to be useful, to have a fulfilling job, to reach out um, and provide for your family, uh, to provide for yourself and be part of the community. But that's done while honouring God. And knowing you can still live a life worthy for him and for whatever reason, that's not how it is for you. Our identity doesn't need to be found in any other plans. Instead, our goal is to live a life worthy of the Lord. And if we seek that and seek to honour him, there we find our identity. So as we uh, consider living a life worthy of the Lord. Let me just ponder two things to finish up. I do want to consider, is this a good idea? And as we're here now, what you'll hear from me every week, there will be a time every week when I want to engage with people who don't know Jesus. I'm never going to assume that everyone who comes to Trinity Grove loves Jesus. And I will do that every week. If you're here a week when I haven't done that, 
Come and talk to me, because I think that's really important. And in this passage, it seems to me, it's, if you want to live a life worthy of the Lord, you've got to ask yourself the question, well, why? Is that a good idea? Because I think there are reasons to say, no, it's not a good idea. You're telling me to sacrifice a lot. You're telling me that my wants are not important compared to God's, at least secondary. And sometimes they contradict and I've got to throw them away. I'm not convinced that the benefits are that good. But I say, whatever reasons you come up with, and some I can see the value in, whatever reasons you come up with, I don't think they stack up if Jesus is Lord. And if he came and did what he did. If he is still King and Lord and he's still supreme, it doesn't really matter what you want to say if you don't like it. It's a reality that we've got to confront. But even if you don't like that reality that you've got to confront, just for a moment consider the king, who is quite different. Kings and rulers and current climate of our world and nation and nation jostling and battling and the century of wars and bloodshed and people ruling and, and being horrendous over each other. Here's a king who puts himself on a cross in our place so that we, by that grace, have a relationship with him. Not for him to rule over us as some kind of horrendous dictator, but as our Lord and ruler who has an intimate relationship with us. This king is totally different. And there's a far better reason to consider I should live for him. And so finally, the hope of heaven that is mentioned in verse 5 is a reality that you're going to have to face. So I want to suggest that living a life worthy of the Lord is a good idea. How should we do it then? Well, surely we should pray. Hopefully you've been praying. Hopefully you've been praying for each other, for Trinity uh, Grove, for Golden Grove, and you've heard me say pray and pray as much as you can. Surely this passage just reminds us of that. But how should we live a life worthy of the Lord? We do it with each other. They have Colossi. We have Golden Grove. We have each other. How do we do it? We grow in the knowledge of God. We can't take lightly that God's word is not just a manual for life that we decided to live by. God's word, the knowledge of God, is something we get stuck into because it honours him to find out more about him. It actually fosters our relationship. It's good to know him more. It's a fantastic thing. And so we do that in many different ways. It doesn't really matter. We can, we're going to talk about doing one-to-one focus this term. We're going, we're going to do community groups starting term three. We're going to uh, think about, you know, you have quiet times, you have Sundays. Whatever and all the ways we do it, our mindset is we just want to get to know God and we want to change life. Not thinking that it's some kind of policies and procedure manual because we're a Christian. You see, when we um, 
are a part of a church life. It's a great place to live the life worthy of the Lord, like any church, but when you're just starting out, we have a mission, and it's kind of needed for our survival. Under God. It means our heart is to see others come in. The bearing fruit of Colossians chapter 1 is something that has to be written into our DNA. It means that together we're actively involved and pray, um, and pray for bearing fruit. I love this morning that someone, um, you know, 10 to, 10 to 10, and you know, normally we'll pray like 9.30 and someone just mentioned to me, you know, should we pray before we start? Absolutely. That's what we were going to do. And that's what I want us all to be thinking. Have we prayed about this? Are we going to be praying about this? Are we going to bring it to God? Because we want to be a Jesus-shaped community. See, what verse 10 goes on to say, which I didn't elaborate on, but let me just quickly go there, um, is that he says that living a life worthy of the Lord means you bear fruit in your work, you grow in his knowledge, Verse 11, you're strengthened um, by his power for endurance and patience. And then you have joy and thankfulness in verse 12. See, honouring God has different components in your life that will need to be. We want to have fruit, results. We want to see others grow in Jesus and people come into being in a relationship with Jesus. Honouring God requires growing in knowledge of him. And so it's about a relationship. Honouring God is about, in the hard times, enduring and having, having patience. Not on your own magnificence, but on God's, His power. And what we do is we have joy and thanks to God. And that's where we end today. Are we going to be joyful? Yes or no? You tell me, are we going to be joyful? Yeah. We're going to be joyful. Are we going to be a thankful people? Of course we're going to be a thankful people. If we don't have that building to who we are, then there's no point doing it. If we don't want to actually say to God, you are almighty. You are the one who saves us and we're so thankful for that. We praise you for that. We respond to God. Do you want to live a life Worthy of the Lord. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we ask that you'll help us live a life worthy of you in all things. Help us to honour you day by day. Help Trinity grow to have as a priority bringing you glory in all things. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.